I am really excited to open God's Word with you tonight. This is a, in my opinion, this is a phenomenal passage about the moving and working of God through His Spirit in the lives of people to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, so you know, if, if we're uh, growing in our boldness and our faithfulness to the Great Commission and more and more seeking to reach lost people, there's a pretty good chance we are going to face opposition somewhere along the line. And this is a passage tonight that deals with the opposition that Peter and John faced from the powers of the world. I've entitled the message, Standing Strong. And what I want to do is share with you kind of the, the differences in the Scripture between earthly power and spiritual or kingdom power, and see how worldly power operated in the lives of the spiritual leaders of their day who were not really believers. They were religious, but they weren't followers of Jesus. And then how the Spirit of God through supernatural kingdom power worked in and through the lives of the apostles. So join with me, if you would, as we look at how God reveals all of these truths to us in this passage, beginning in uh, verses 1 through 7 of chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And I love that God put this sentence in there. But many of those who had heard the words believed and the number of the men of men came to about 5000 on the next day the rulers and elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family and when they had set them in the midst they inquired by what power or by what name did you do this so we have here a clear picture of the power of this world working in opposition to kingdom power or the spiritual power of God that's operating through Peter and John. What we see these uh, religious leaders doing is uh, trying to outnumber them. They come up on them without notice or warning. and We don't know how many came, but there were three groups. It says here there were priests and the captain of the temple guard and Sadducees, and later on we'll see that they were called before probably the Sanhedrin the next day, and there's 71 people in the Sanhedrin. So they were outnumbered substantially, and this is the way the world works. It wants to outnumber us. And so we see that, and just briefly, we're going to go through this pretty rapidly, but it was all because they were proclaiming the name of Jesus as the source of resurrection from the dead. These people wanted to be in control, and they took them into custody without any warning, any discussion, any allegation, nothing. They just took them into custody, and they put them in prison overnight. They were in control. That's what people in power do. They control us. They control people. They oppose. I'm not going to get political here, though I could. And the power that they really used was the power of intimidation. Can you imagine Peter and John being confronted by these 71 leaders, and it says in the text, the makeup of that, the rulers, who were probably the chief priests, then the elders, who were most likely the Sadducees, and the leaders and scribes, who were most likely of the Pharisaic party. 
And so they made up the Sanhedrin, 71 of them, and the text says they set them in the midst or had them stand in the midst. So literally they were what? They were surrounded by these 71 men of great power and influence in their world. And I want to remind you that these are the same men who condemned Jesus Christ to death on the cross. And so here we have these two humble, broken men, Peter and John, standing in the midst, being intimidated by these men. And I want you to see uh, what's going on through the earthly power, and then I want us to go next to see how they responded to that in the midst of all of this. Understand, though, before we go there, this is real. These people have real power. They can instill, instill, instill real fear. They can bring harm. They can even bring death. This is the world in which they live, and it may be, or soon to be, the world in which we may live. I'm not going to prophesy that, but I understand that the threats and the, the opposition and hatred for Christians is growing in this world. So let us listen and learn well from Peter and John. It says in verse 8 in the next section about how they were filled with spiritual power, kingdom power. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed doing a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people in, of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation. Listen to this well. There is salvation in no other name, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. I want you to see the power of God that is being displayed to enable and empower these two men. Ordinary, normal men, fishermen, people like you and I, not educated highly. And they stood there before these intimidators with this kind of a response. Let's look first at the work of the Holy Spirit in all of this. It says that Peter was uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had come on him. Remember the promise that Jesus made in Acts 1, in verse 8? He said, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is a beautiful picture of the power of the Spirit of God operating in Peter's life at this time. And we see that he stood against these people of earthly power with the kingdom supernatural power of the living God. And he spoke to them how boldly, with great unction, with great power, he spoke to them. 
He should have been intimidated. He should have been overwhelmed with fear. But he was the one who became their judge instead of allowing them to be his judge. And he proclaimed to them the truth of the gospel in this passage. And what we see here is a fulfillment of what Jesus had promised his disciples in Mark 9, or 13, 9. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And this is especially relevant. And when they bring you to trial <clears throat> and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not, your, it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So what we see here is Peter filled with the Spirit, speaking the words that the Spirit of God gave him to speak, and they are profound and amazing words. He answers the two questions they ask. First, about the act of kindness to this crippled man, which he, they shouldn't have been called a question at all for, and they really weren't. It wasn't about him. It was about the name of Jesus and the power that he unleashed in them, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom they had crucified. I want us to understand just the application of this is if we're going to engage in spiritual ministry in this world, there is nothing we need more than the Spirit of God to fill us and to work in and through us as we serve and proclaim Jesus to this generation. I don't have enough courage on my own without that, and I don't think many of us do. Maybe you do, but we need the power of the Spirit to operate and to serve and to be empowered to proclaim the gospel in these days and at this time. I want us to see next the spiritual power that was in Jesus. Through the filling of the Spirit, P Peter took the opportunity to show these men the authority and the power of Jesus Christ, that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom they had crucified, whom God raised from the dead, it was by him that this man was healed. He was standing before them well. He was able to leap and jump for joy. That is what Jesus Christ had done in this man. And it was through their operation and their work through the uh, Peter and John that some of this happened as well. They were there. They were instruments that were used by Jesus. They uh, recite to these leaders, Psalm 118.22, Jesus uh, was rejected by you, they tell the leaders at that time, the builders which have become the cornerstone. What, he, what they're saying to them is that they have turned away from Jesus. They've not looked to Him. They crucified Him. They put Him to death, and He arose from the grave. And, and that's the evidence uh, of the life of Christ that they're being uh, taught and that Peter is proclaiming before them and that they're seeing evidenced in the healing of this crippled man, this man who had been crippled from birth. So what we see unleashed before us is the power and the truth of the gospel and of Christ and of His resurrection demonstrated in real life and in real time among people of Peter and John's day. There was opposition for sure. These men opposed Him. They rejected Him. They wanted a different cornerstone. They didn't want Jesus, so they put Him to death. 
But in response to that, he rose from the grave and he empowered these men and through them brought this healing to this man. And Jason mentioned about this when we were going through chapter 3, but I want us to just think a bit deeper about the healing that this crippled man had experienced. He was crippled from birth. Verse 14 tells us that he was about 40 years old. So for 40 years, this man had not walked. He was incapable of walking. The muscles on his legs, his ankles, his bones were small and weak, and his fleshly muscles were atrophied and unable to function. The nervous function in his legs was non-existent. If this man had been healed in some way today through physical healing or man's uh, operations, he would be in a clinic learning to walk for months because he never ever in his life learned to walk. And instantly and perfectly and completely Jesus Christ healed him. That's power. That's power against which this world has nothing to stand with. And that is the power we possess in the gospel and in our faith in Jesus Christ. This truth is so profound and so enormous that it led Peter to say these words, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. I got to tell you, Peter and John were convinced to the core of their being of the truth of the gospel and of Jesus. They had been with him, they'd seen him, and they had been touched in their life by him. They had walked with the Savior of the world. They had seen miracle after miracle, and now these men were transformed. And this is the third point, is, is their transformed lives. We're broken men and women and broken children, but what God gives us is a transformed life, an empowered life through Jesus Christ. Listen to what verse 13 and 14 says, some of the most powerful statements in this passage. They tell us that these learned and authoritarian men were absolutely astonished at the boldness and the power of Peter and John. They knew they were common fishermen. They knew they had no education or schooling. They knew in many ways, and were just like them, that these men had been transformed by being with Jesus. And it says of them, these unbelieving leaders of the religious institutions of Jesus' day before he came, these men realized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. They saw the powerful transformation in their lives of the gospel and of the resurrection and power of Christ. You know, the, the amazing thing of this, and it, it's almost hilarious, these men thought that they could put an end to Jesus Christ by killing him. But what really happened is through that death and, and through the providential work of God and the victory of the cross and the victory of Christ's death, what God did is he transformed the men who were followers of Jesus Christ to be more and more like Jesus. So people saw them as men who'd been with Jesus 
And these men had argued with Jesus and lost, and now they're arguing with this man and losing again. What, what, what we want to see here is that Jesus had poured his life into this. He reproduced himself through discipleship into the lives of these believers. And they went out in boldness in the power of the Spirit to proclaim the gospel and to advance God's kingdom. That's what we see unfolding. That is the power of transformed life. And there's not one person in here tonight that is incapable of that kind of spiritual transformation in your life and that kind of boldness to live the gospel and to let people know you've been with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That is so awesome. Let's move on and see a little bit more about the earthly power, how these men reacted to that. Verse 15 but when they had commanded them to leave, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. They won't even say the name Jesus. They're, they're so horrified by the resurrection and, and by Jesus' power, they wouldn't even say his name. So they called him and charged him not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened him, they let them go finding no way to punish them because all of all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. We see these religious scholars, these powerful men, chief priests and elders and leaders, unable to do anything in the face of the power of God unleashed through Peter and John. All they can do is warn them and hope in some way that they will no longer talk about Jesus and the power of the gospel and the hope of the resurrection. And so they simply dismiss them with threats of further persecution. I love what Peter and John say to them. It's just simply this. They stood up in boldness again and refused to obey these men. And they said simply, we will obey God rather than men. We cannot help but speak of what we've seen and heard. That is a heart I want for this church. I want for every one of our lives that we cannot but help. We cannot help but speak of Jesus in all of our discussions. Just to see this amazing power unfolded as these men stand firm uh, before God and uh, allow God and His Spirit to move and and work in their lives. I, I believe with all my heart the power of God's Word was burning in Peter and John's heart to proclaim the gospel and to make Jesus known, to continue to, continue to do what they had been doing under the authority of the living God, to obey God rather than men. And you know, it's a, it's a challenge for all of us to even think about this kind of a life in these times and days. And I, I'm doing a lot of soul searching, i got to tell you that. Am I living with enough boldness for Jesus? Am I living on the edge for the gospel? Would people know when they've been around me that I've been with Jesus, that I cannot help but say and speak of him? 
And that's what I hope for my life. And, and I pray to God that would, that would come, to, come up on all of our lives through the working of the Spirit of God. You know, we have to obey civil authorities for sure when it's not related to the will and purpose of God. But if it contradicts God, then we better obey God. Obey God rather than men. Let's wrap this up in the last section of Scripture where the men are released. It says in verse 23, when they were released, <coughs> excuse me, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them, who through the mouth of the one of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and this is a quote from Psalm 2. It's a messianic psalm. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed one. That would be Jesus. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. We'll talk about that in a moment. And now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. The first thing we see is as soon as they're released from the custody of these religious leaders, this earthly power that bound them, they went and they gathered together with like-minded believers, the church that they were part of. And what is the first thing they did? They reported what had happened, and they broke out spontaneously in prayer to God. The thing that's going to change this world is that kind of prayer. When we come together and we elicit the power and the enabling of God, the boldness of God to be His people in this place and in this time. I just love it. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together. And they allowed the Scripture to inform their view of God. They proclaimed the sovereignty of God and the power of God as the Creator. That's who they prayed to, the God who's sovereign and the God who's all-powerful. And guess what? That God has not changed. He's still sovereign and He's still all-powerful today in the same exact way He was in that day. So let us be quicker to run to God in prayer than to try to figure out how to do things on our own. i got to tell you, man, prayer is about the last thing I do. I do all the wiggling and figuring and trying to, you know, fix it myself before often do I turn to God. I love this passage and the quickness with which these men turn to God. They prayed to God because of His sovereignty and His power. And what they prayed to him rejoicing is in Psalm 2, they, they saw literally the prophetic fulfillment of Psalm 2 in their day and time. What David had spoke about in Psalm 2 was being unfolded before their very eyes for God and his anointed, the Lord Jesus Christ. What they proclaimed in this is God's word prevails. God predestined the death of Christ. 
The cross is God's victory. It's not his defeat. As we saw through the death of Christ, men are raised, men are discipled, men become like Jesus because they've been with Jesus. And so we see those things uh, fleshed out in the lives of these followers of Jesus. The Scriptures became the basis of their prayer and their understanding of God. And I love the fact that we're doing uh, the seek and see and using that tool. We need to use it every week so we grow deeper into understanding the truth of God's Word and allow it to form and, and shape, form and, and inform and shape our prayers always. This prayer also, I love the fact that it was not for God's help to deliver them for, from persecution. Listen to what Peter prays. They prayed rather for enablement in light of the persecution that would come upon them Listen to Peter's words that are recorded here, he and John's. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. Don't you love that? God, enable us. Empower us, God, to continue doing what you've called us to do. God, don't deliver us from their persecution. Just enable us to face their persecution with boldness and to stand against them because the power of the kingdom of God will always overcome the earthly power of this world. And then we come to the probably the most famous verse in the book of Acts in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the Word of God with boldness. You know, there's a few other places in the Bible where things are shook with great tremors like an earthquake. Mount Sinai in uh, Exodus 19, 18 talks about the fact that the whole mountain shook because God was on it and in it. In Isaiah 6, 4, the temple shook because God was declared to be holy, holy, holy. The trembling like this, the, the earthquake, the tremors of this magnitude are an indicator, and they knew that, of the presence of God with them. And that encouraged them and emboldened them to live with this power. And so they lived in light of that and grew knowing that God had heard their prayer and God would answer it. And so what do they do? It says, again, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they continue to speak the Word of God with boldness. Wow. As I've pondered this passage and for a couple of weeks, because I was sick last week and didn't get the opportunity to preach it, I, I want that for this church. I want us to be like that. I want every life here to be empowered and enabled to be bold in the way these men were bold for God, to, to live uh, in that power and presence of God in that way. That's my hope and prayer, that, that we as a people would, would take on that mantle and that we would see people respond to the gospel in the same way that they saw people respond to the gospel and that God would get all the glory. And we'd see more broken people come to find life fulfillment and hope and truth in Jesus. That's my hope. That's my prayer. But in reality, I, you know, I've, I've been around the block a few times in this Christian journey, 
And I got to tell you, I've never seen it in 40 years of ministry. I've never seen this in a church. I don't know why. Maybe it's my fault, my failure as a church leader. Could be. I don't know. But I long for it. I pray God would bring it. I pray that he would move in our hearts in a way that would lead us to hunger for that kind of life and relationship with him that people see us. They might not know why we're different, but when they got to know us better and they found out we were followers of Jesus, they would know that we'd been with him and that we could not help but speak and talk of him. That's my hope and prayer. I don't know why it's different today. I heard a illustration years ago about a gallon of gasoline and the illustration goes this way you can throw a match in a gallon of gasoline and get a really big explosion or you can put it in a fuel efficient car and drive for 50 to 60 70 miles the analogy was this in the book of acts the holy spirit was like that gallon of gasoline that exploded and today the holy spirit is more like that gallon of gas in a fuel efficient car he's just carrying the church along there may be truth in that. I don't know if it explains the differences or not. I know back then there were a few powerful men of God who were evangelists. Today, how, how many powerful evangelists are there in our world? Thousands, maybe? Back then, we'd see several thousand people recorded in the Scriptures come to faith. Across the world, how many believers come to faith in any given day? I don't know. I one, read one article from the crew, just their radio thing alone, saw like 19,000 people a day come to faith. And I don't know how they measure that. I don't know if there's truth to that. I hope it's true. I hope that that many people came to faith yesterday. But whatever it is, for Greeley, Colorado, right here and now, I want it to be about us and how we're relating to people. I want to share just in closing a story about, I've shared with you a few times now about this physician in Greeley that we've struck up the friendship, not in Greeley, Windsor. I live in Greeley now. This was in Windsor. Anyway, uh, very sweet man, as lost as a man could be, but open spiritually. We've had continuing engagements with him. Uh, he found out we were moving. We lost connection. He showed up in my yard while I'm mowing the yard for the last time, he heading to Greeley, and I gave him my phone number so we could stay connected. Two weeks later, we're at a meeting. Jason was there. We're upstairs at WCC, and he walks into the meeting room with all, all, all the uh, uh, Crossway leaders and admin people, and he, he wanted to get the address and my phone number again so we could stay connected. So we met with him a couple days later. This man is being moved along by the Spirit of God toward believing faith. We had an opportunity to talk about the gospel again with him, we invited him to read John's gospel with us, and he said, I'm not quite ready for that, but I'm going to buy a Bible and start reading it myself. And why I tell you this story is because God's encouraged our hearts to be a little more bolder than we've been in the past, to be a little more outgoing and, and a little bit more connected with people who don't know Jesus. And I want to do more of that, more and more and more. And I trust and pray and hope that when he comes back, he will be willing and excited to read John's gospel with us and will come to believing faith. He's so hungry. And I just see, every time I'm with him, I see the Spirit of God moving and prompting in his heart. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I hope we're all looking for in the lives of people that we're rubbing shoulders with. And, and I, I want us to begin to pray. How can we reach? Have you walked around these 35 restaurants 
and this shopping complex here, there are hundreds and hundreds of people, apartments going up by the day, of filled with people who need Jesus. And may, may we become a church that models our life more and more like Peter and John in the boldness of the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer and my hope and my desire. Just to wrap things up, I, I want to put some prayer items on the screen behind us. And just I want you to take the next three or four minutes, grab somebody that's sitting close to you. If it's your wife, that's okay. And pray these things. Pray that we would come less and less under the influence of the forces of earthly power in our lives. It's, I tell you, my natural tendency is to give in to fear in this world and to not take steps that I need to take. Pray that we would live more and more in the enabling power of the Spirit of God as we seek to live on mission. And pray as well that this power would give us boldness in living for and talking about Jesus in this world. So take the next three or four minutes and pray about that, and then we'll have Lucas come up and close us.